Morning, everyone. We're going to read the entirety of chapter 18. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila and a native named Pontius. Recently came from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For they were tent makers by trade, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade the Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there, and he went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus was the ruler of the synagogue and believed in the Lord, together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians heard Paul believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you or harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Archaea, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it's a matter of question about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sontheus and ruler of the synagogue and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallo paid no attention to any of this. After this, Paul stayed many days longer, and when he took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria... And with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Centuria he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. But he himself went to the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of the said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church, and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Philgria, strengthening all the disciples. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus, and he was an eloquent man and competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and after being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, They took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished wished to cross Archaea, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who, through the grace, had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ was Jesus. may be seated. Good morning. I'm going to ask if you would to join me in a word of prayer as we begin our study in God's word this morning. Father, your word is calling us once again this morning. You've gathered us together to meet with you this day. And so with your word open before us, Father, we ask that you would teach us what you would have us to know and move us to take what we learn And exercise it for your glory and for your honor. And in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Well, almost six weeks ago, Tuesday would be six weeks, I had an arthroscopic knee surgery on this right leg, right knee. And as I was looking back over the past month and a half, I was reminded of each person who played a part in that process. It began with a trip to the med check, seeing a doctor at a med check. He assessed the knee. He's the one who issued a referral to 
an orthopedic doctor. Before seeing the doctor, I was taken to radiology to get some x-rays on the knee. Once the doctor assessed the knee, he had me get an MRI. So the next week I was able to go into that imaging office and have this big giant machine take a series of pictures of my knee. Went back to the doctor. He then was able, after looking at the MRI pictures, to confirm that, yes, you have torn meniscus and here are your options. And I worked with the doctor's secretaries to schedule and plan a date for surgery. And once we had landed on a surgery date, the hospital then contacted me about some things I needed to know prior to surgery. I arrived that day, went to the registration desk where there was a helpful person there at the desk, registered me, signed me in. She was very helpful for getting me ready all that I needed to have done before. I was called back then to the prep room where there were another couple nurses awaiting me, waiting to prepare my knee for what was about to happen. And then the doctor himself came in before the surgery and had a small conversation with me. And and, uh, while I'm laying there on the bed, he um, proceeded to take a, a marker and he asked me, now, which knee are we operating on? And I said, this one right here. And so he put his initials on this knee. It looked really nice, especially after it got shaved. It looked really nice, nice and shiny. He put his initials, making sure that this was the knee we're going to operate on. There were a few folks then, shortly thereafter, who came into the room and wheeled me down the hall to the emergency room. And I remember, as I was getting ready to make my way into the emergency room, I remember seeing one of the helpers. Uh, she was getting her gloves on and she was ready. And, and uh, I remember the room was cool, cooler than where I'd come from. It was a very bright room. And I saw the doctor in the room and he was sitting on a stool. It was almost like he was pre-gaming. He was, he was going through his, his pre-game notes, I think, in terms of here's what we're doing now. He was there, he was looking at that, he was, he was focused, you could tell. Praise God. And there were a handful of people in the room, and they were all scurrying around, carrying out their respective assignments in preparation for the surgery. And once I was moved, they moved me from the bed I had been in, they moved me onto a separate bed, a very narrow bed. And then they brought these little extending parts from my arms so that I could just relax which I thought that was nice. And once I got moved on to the bed, arms relaxed, there was another helper. He's called an anesthesiologist. And he started briefing me on what was about to happen. And he said, he said, Steve, you're going to feel a a sting in your hand. I had my IV in my hand. He said, you're going to feel a sting in your hand. He said, just breathe through it. And I did. I remember feeling the sting in my hand, but what happened after the sting, I'm not quite sure. (laughs) I remember waking up with my ears first. Have you ever done that? You ever ever been out for a while and wake up with your ears first? That's that's what I, I remember. I remember waking up with my ears, hearing a nurse and an anesthesiologist having a conversation. I couldn't see them. I just heard them talking. And after a while, my my eyes followed suit, and and, and now I could see and hear. Pretty soon, my dad came in. My dad was there to help. He was driving, and he helped me collect my things. We left. I was escorted out of the hospital in a wheelchair by another nurse and finally made it into the car. Before arriving home, a pharmacist was able to help me just in case I needed any pain meds. And then I made it home where family members had a place on the couch already laid out and ready for me. I had some wonderful nurses. So why, why recount all that activity? How, how, does, how does that connect to what we're looking at here this morning? See, there, there was only one doctor who performed the surgery. But there were many people who helped me out along the way. And church, even financially, 
I just take an opportunity to say thank you for the church's help in, in helping financially in part for the surgery. I, I appreciate that. I'm grateful to God for that. People played a part. The doctor is the one who typically gets highlighted. The many helpers tend to get left out. The doctor's work is contingent upon many helpers doing their assigned roles. The doctor is the one who is skilled to do the surgery. He knows what tools are needed. He knows the human resources needed to make the surgery a success. And yet without the many skilled helpers serving alongside him, the doctor may not have any clients. Faithful, skilled helpers are needed for what God's doing. You know, you look, just take a a quick glance at Corinthians chapter 12 and you immediately see the need for all the parts of the body operating, functioning, working together. Faithful stewards are needed in the body of Christ. God is not looking simply for leaders who faithfully steward their God-given assignments. But he's looking for a church Filled with faithful stewards. He's looking for a church filled with faithful stewards. Each one gifted to play a part in God's redemptive story. It's a beautiful picture, really. There are some visible gifts and some not so visible in the body of Christ. But whether seen or unseen, the gifts he gives are all significant to the work he's called his church to. Ephesians 4 speaks of how these parts are to operate together, whereby each one does his share, uses his gifts, carries out God's calling in the context of the community called the church. You know, I especially enjoy this text we're in this morning because it points to the truth that faithful stewards can and do make a difference within the life of the church. Faithful stewards. The spotlight this morning is not on Paul, but a man named Apollos. The Lord has a way of orchestrating faithful stewards to complete his work in the context of his church. God is going to use Apollos to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ in Ephesus and in Corinth, in the region of Achaia. I want you to know that Apollos is not a doctor type. He's not a prophet of the day. He's not a priest. He's not a king. Nor was he called directly by the Lord himself to be an apostle like some we've read about. He was a man, just like many many of us in many ways. And the Lord used him mightily. All because he was a faithful steward of what God gave to him. I believe the text in Acts 18, 23 through 28, we'll be looking at this morning identifies at least six areas, at least six areas where Apollos was deemed a faithful steward. And I believe that each of these six areas is applicable to you and me. And so as such, each of these arenas will be personally addressed. And my hope is that as you consider how the Lord used Apollos, that it will be, it will be a, an example, it will serve as an encouragement for how he also desires to use you to advance this gospel of Jesus Christ. So, first arena, let's just jump right in from the text. Be a faithful steward of your mind. Be a faithful steward of your mind. The text says that Apollos was a Jew. He was born at Alexandria. He was an eloquent man. He came to Ephesus. Now, we need to understand that Luke, the writer, as he's moved by the Holy Spirit, he's giving us a picture here of what is going on at the same time. Verse 23 says, Paul is beginning his third missionary journey, right? 
Paul, it's a very quick interim. We don't get a whole lot of details between the second and the third missionary journey. We know in in verse 22, he comes back to the church. We're, We're led to believe he's there for some period of time. And then verse 23 says, after he'd spent some time, he departed. He's leaving again, going on his third trip now. As he's doing that, Luke kind of cuts away. It's like, meanwhile, while he's doing that, here's what's going on over here in Ephesus. So now we're getting a picture, a little portrait, if you will, of Apollos. All right? And here we see that Apollos was a Jew, born in Alexandria, Alexandria, Egypt. Had a large contingent of Jews at the time. This is where he's from. He, he grows up in a cultural context that values learning. Alexandria was a place, a very uh, learned place, uh, similar in some ways to Athens, similar in some ways to Ephesus. Alexandria was a place where much learning, people aspired to learn, they, they, they would grow and they would flourish in Alexandria. And this is where Apollos is from. The text says he's an eloquent man. He, he was well-educated. He was an excellent orator. He knew how to speak. In fact, the word has in mind a man of words. A man of ideas. Apollos had a way with words. As I've been studying the text, I, I've, I've often thought about what it might have been like to have heard Apollos speak. As we'll see in the text, there are some things about Apollos that really stand out. He was gifted in many ways. Praise God, he used his gifts for the benefit and furtherance of the Lord's work. The text says this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord. Verse 25, the beginning. He'd been instructed in the way of the Lord. Now, you know, we oftentimes equate the Lord with Jesus. Rightly so. Okay? But that same word can be used for God as well. The Lord also oftentimes refers to Jehovah, the God of the Old Testament, right? And considering Apollos' knowledge of the Old Testament, the statement probably means that he knew the ways of Jehovah. Because we'll see in just a moment that his understanding of things was not quite complete. What he knew was very accurate. But it just wasn't complete, as we'll see in the text. This man, Apollos, had been instructed in the way of the Lord, in the path of Jehovah God. And we think about the Old Testament scriptures and what this God of the scriptures has called his people to. Apollos was a learned man. He knew the Old Testament scriptures, much like the Apostle Paul. He knew the Old Testament scriptures. I believe Paul, excuse me, Apollos here in the text, we think about a faithful steward, a steward of the mind. And I see Apollos here as one who had a renewed mind in the Old Testament scriptures. Romans 12, 2, in fact, if we read and know Romans 12, 2, uh, it speaks of not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by what? The renewing of your mind, okay? The renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Apollos may not have had the whole gospel picture early on, but he had a renewed mind in the Old Testament scriptures. And he was instructed in God's ways. He was taught God's path for living. You know, there's that phrase that you probably have heard Great minds think alike. A great mind is determined not by how much you know. A great mind, biblically speaking, is truly great in God's eyes when it is conformed into the mind of Christ. Philippians 2.5. Being a faithful steward of your mind involves discipline. 
Are you going to set your mind on things above or things here on the earth? What are you taking into your mind? I'm, I'm thinking right now of books that you might read. I'm thinking right now of movies that you might watch. I'm thinking right now of internet sites that you go on. What goes into the mind? And I think some of you can think through times when you have seen something. Something has gone into that mind. Usually it goes in through that eye gate. And it's lodged in your mind. And you might remember something from years, 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 years ago. The mind captures those things, doesn't it? The Bible talks about how we are to take captive these things, aren't we? We're to guard our mind. Guard it. Guard what comes in. Be a faithful steward of your mind. I believe it's helpful that we would subscribe to the Philippians 4.8 principle here. Most of you know what that principle is, right? Philippians 4.8 principle. Whatever is good, lovely, pure, noble, excellent, of virtue, of good report, praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about how that would help your mind if we operated that way. We don't have to look very far before junk gets in. We have to have some discipline. We have to think ahead. A follower of Jesus is a faithful steward of his mind. He's been given a mission for his days here. And he understands that exercising his mind is essential to accomplishing this mission. So that's the first arena. Be a faithful steward of your mind. I think we also see in the text with Apollos, he was a faithful steward of his sword. Be a faithful steward of your sword. Talking about this sword. Be a faithful steward of your sword. I love this verse. this, This verse almost just preach itself right here. The text says that Apollos, he was born in Alexandria, he's an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures. This man came to Ephesus. He was competent. He was mighty in the scriptures. And the text right here places his eloquence, his high learning with being mighty in the scriptures. It helps us understand how he was leveraging his learning. He was mighty in the scriptures. You know, I'm afraid that many of us today are are mighty in things other than this word. If I was to go around and just start right here with Sean and go row by row, go all the way down, all the way in the back, down here to the front, and just simply ask the question, tell me, what is your favorite verse of the scripture? Why is it your favorite verse of scripture? Is there a verse that is your life verse? Some people have life verses, verses that they hold on to, verses they carry around with them, verses that they're ready to share, verses that are ready just to bust out of them because they're living that. They're doing their best. Imperfectly, yes, but they're doing their best to live out what this word says. Many of us, I believe, if we were put on the spot, I don't know how well we would do answering that question or those series of questions. And the point is not that you can answer the question effectively. The point is, are you a faithful steward of this word? Do you know this word? I tend to believe we know more about other things, things that are going to burn up and pass away like chaff, than we do this word that's eternal. It's eternal in the heavens. The scriptures describe this sword as two-edged. Imagine for just a moment you have a two-edged sword. Young, Young people, go ahead. Act like you got a sword. This is your time. Okay, this is your time. You got your sword, two-edged sword. It's big, it's heavy. We were out in the antique shop the other day, and, and it wasn't. Well, there were a couple swords we saw, but there was a there was a big long rifle. Uh, we were we picked that up, and it was heavy, wasn't it, Isaac? It's a heavy, heavy gun. Heavy. Hey, this is a sword. This is a heavy sword. And you've got this sword, 
And as a Christian, you carry this weapon with you at all times. How are you going to treat this double-edged sword? How are you going to treat it? You've got it with you. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to just tire of it and set it down someplace? Is it going to become too cumbersome to carry with you? Because it doesn't match your attire, you maybe want to just put it away for a while. What are you going to do with this sword? Is it going to get in the way of other things and interfere with other plans of yours? This sword, we need to understand, is your offensive weapon in the battle that we wage every day. Don't lay it down. Don't put it aside. Please don't treat it as common. You know, as the evil one roams this world, I I wonder, I wonder, I wonder how many rusty swords he sees littering the bedrooms, living rooms, cars, bookshelves where you live. And I thought of the delight that he must have to know that God's people have made it a pattern to live their lives without their swords. Does being mighty in the scriptures describe you? Maybe some of you are thinking, ah, that's, that's just for certain people. It's just for the leaders in the church. Uh Uh-uh. That's not what I read here. That we're all called and equipped. We've been given the Holy Spirit. If you're in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit in you. And he's reminding you of these very things right here. Do you delight in it? Are you being a faithful steward of this sword? Think about how you might be able to minister to your family if you are mighty in the scriptures. Some of you have professed to be Christians for some time now, but are novices when it comes to the scriptures. You couldn't navigate your way around. You you, you couldn't counsel another believer from the scriptures. You aren't able to share Bible truth when your friend's going through a tough time because you don't know what this book says. You aren't able to minister to your spouse and to wash her in the word effectively. And by extension, your children aren't able to do that effectively because the sword is absent from your life. It takes time. It's time. It's time to take it up. Grab a hold of it. Some of us haven't really grabbed a hold of it. We need to grab a hold of it. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, Paul says to Timothy, Be diligent. Or some translations say, Do your best to present yourself approved to God. A worker who does not need to be ashamed... Listen to that. You don't have to be ashamed. (laughs) Some of you, I think, feel ashamed. You feel ashamed because of maybe what you don't know, where you are at. Hey, the Bible says, be diligent. Do your best to present yourself approved to God, not to man, to God. A worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Do your best. Be diligent. There was a man who came to Ephesus mighty in the scriptures. And what a joy to have a man and a woman of God mighty in the scriptures. Competent swordsman. I love it. What kind of impact does a church have when she is mighty in the scriptures? How fruitful would she be if she could wield her sword more diligently? I pray this church would be mighty in the scriptures. Don't be content with where you are. Please, for the Lord's sake. 
He desires to do a work of sanctification in you, every single one of you. Don't settle for anything less than what God has for you. I pray that each one in your household would be mighty in the scriptures. I pray that the Lord would make me mighty in the scriptures. I hope this is part of your prayer. This is one of the takeaways for me in this message. Is I desire, I desire to be mighty in the scriptures, not so that I can boast and show others how much I know. That's not why. I desire to be mighty in the scriptures so that God's word can get regularly put into play wherever I might be. I want it to be brought to bear on every situation in my life. A faithful steward of the sword is conscientious of taking this word in, taking it in, that he might then have something to give. See, there again, some of us don't have anything to give because we've not taken this in. And if you don't take that word in, there's going to be a point in time where you're just going to hit a wall. You aren't going to have anything to give to anybody in your home. A faithful steward of the sword doesn't desire to be mighty in the scriptures to show himself impressive, but to show himself a genuine witness to Jesus. This is what we do. This is who we are. Be a faithful steward of the sword. Third, from the text we see, be a faithful steward of your attitude. Verse 25, the end of verse 25 Oh, this is, this is rich too, coming especially on the heels of the previous one. Text says, and being fervent in spirit. Some translators actually have that fervent in the spirit as in the Holy Spirit, which I don't necessarily disagree with because I do believe that as we're reading this section, I, I do believe Apollos is a believer. He, I believe he's been redeemed at this point. He was what we maybe refer to as an Old Testament uh, redeemer. <laughs> He's been redeemed. Um, he, as we'll see, he is accurate in his teaching. He has an understanding of the ways of the Lord. There are some pieces, though, to this gospel that he is going to shortly get briefed on. But I do believe he has the understanding necessary to be a believer. He's been instructed in the way of the Lord, being fervent in spirit. He spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. You know, Romans 12 is a a wonderful passage of Scripture, verses 9 through 20. And in that context, he's speaking, Paul is, about the church and uh, specific arenas that the church needs to be active and involved in exercising different gifts and abilities. And one of those Verses in particular that I point to is Romans 12, verse 11. In Romans 12, verse 11, Paul says that we are, as parts of the body, we are not to be lagging, we're not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Aren't those three wonderful things there for us to hold on to? Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Fervent in spirit is, is this idea of boiling over. Zealous. In this case, Apollos is characterized as being fervent in spirit over God's word. Getting his word out. Speaking and teaching his word. His fervency of spirit led him to speak of Jesus. I find it encouraging. I'm sure you do as well. To be around people who are fervent in spirit with regard to the word of God, with regard to their love for God. They give off a certain aroma of life that is unmistakable. A few weeks ago, I was, was watching a, a video, a few video segments of, of an elder who actually serves the Lord in Colorado. And, and he, talks so, he talks so fervently about being an elder. Never heard someone speak so passionately about being an elder. About energetically, passionately shepherding the flock. 
And I thought, what an encouragement. What an encouragement to the soul to hear that someone is actually fervent in spirit about the Lord's work. This, this was, oh, it was an attractor. Absolutely it was an attractor. But, you know, it's an example. Whenever you hear someone speaking of the things of the Lord, if you are in the Lord, it's going to attract you to that. It's going to attract you to more of Christ. It's appealing. The aroma is contagious, church. When you're fervent in spirit about God, about his word, about his church, about living for Jesus, others notice. Amen? Others notice. They notice. And there are two reactions typically to the one who is fervent in spirit. Either it's a pleasing aroma and others decide to join you. Or it's a disturbing aroma causing others to run for shelter. Who is this guy? I'm getting out of here. I believe it was Paul that said in Corinthians, if we're out of our mind, it's for your sake. (laughs) Right? Are you currently fervent in spirit toward God and his word? Are you fervent in spirit? Are you boiling over? Are you zealous about the things of the Lord? What is it that drives you each day? What is it that motivates you to get up out of your bed in the morning? I know some of us have a harder time than others getting out of bed. Let's just put that out to the side. Okay? But when we do get up, what is it that compels us, as Paul says in Corinthians? Is it the love of Christ? Does the love of Christ compel you? Judging that because one died for all, now now my life is to be stewarded in such a way that I don't live my life for myself, but for him who loved me and gave himself for me. The text says that he was fervent in the spirit and taught and spoke accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. Baptism of John, remember, baptism of repentance. And John is always pointing to one yet to come that would baptize with the Holy Spirit. Apollo spoke and taught accurately, the text says, but seemed to be missing something relevant to the Holy Spirit's ministry. There's a certain measure of the gospel he didn't yet have. He was fervent about what he did have, what he did know, and he spoke and taught with the light that he did have from the Lord. And that reminds me of a few people we've talked about who have taken the light that the Lord has given to them and they have been obedient to walk in that light. Timothy? We spoke a week or two ago about Josiah. Remember at the age of 16, he began to seek the Lord and he began to seek the Lord. Where was the book of the law? Hadn't yet been found, had it? But Josiah was walking in the light that the Lord had given to him. I believe Apollos is in that same camp. He's walking in the light that the Lord gave to him. And we're going to see that when he is gently confronted with some loving brethren, husband-wife team, he has a heart that's ready to hear. You see, Apollos desires to walk with the Lord. His understanding is going to just expand here in just a moment. And the Lord's going to do something with that, just like he always does. This ought not surprise us. So be a faithful steward of your attitude. Be fervent in spirit toward God and his word and the ministry of the Holy Spirit working in you. Four, be a faithful steward of your tongue. We see there at the end of 25 that he spoke and taught accurately these things of the Lord. Verse 26 says that he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. As a follower of Jesus, how are you using your tongue? They see, a faithful steward of the Lord uses his tongue rightly. A faithful steward of the Lord is not one who says, um, you, you heard somebody I, I talk about apologizing. They apologize before they're going to say a bad word. Have you ever heard somebody do that? Well, pardon me, but, and then they just. Hey, let's be clear. The people I've heard say those kinds of phrases are not just people who are lost without the Lord. 
I've heard people who are professed believers actually use that phrase. A faithful steward is going to use his tongue rightly. If you have a question about how we're to use our tongue, I encourage you to read the book of Proverbs. It's loaded with Proverbs about our tongue, our speech. Read James chapter 3. It's a wonderful commentary on the power of the tongue. Apollos was a faithful steward of his tongue. Can you imagine Apollos, well-educated, orator, polished in his speaking, fervent in spirit, mighty in the scriptures, standing to speak in the synagogue. And now I want you to imagine Apollos concluding his bold speech in the synagogue and being approached by this husband-wife team. Aquila and Priscilla. They happen to be in the synagogue that day and they're hearing what Apollos is teaching. And this leads, really, it's a segue into another point in the life of Apollos and that's five, be a faithful steward of your heart. Be a faithful steward of your heart. The end of verse 26 says, when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, They took him aside and explained to him the way of God. Now, remember, earlier it said that he taught and spoke accurately the things of the Lord. Now, verse 26 says, Aquila and Priscilla take him aside and explain to him the way of God more accurately. Okay? We need to understand something. Apollos, in many ways, looks good on the exterior. One writer says, learning and fervor, though valuable gifts, are not in themselves enough for Christian workers. We must know Jesus. <laughs> Think about it. We could show up here today. And we could go, oh, we got all kinds of bells and whistles and, and I could just be up here and I could just motivate and pump you up and fire you up. Ha, ha, and we could have this big gathering and oh, we could leave and yeah. But if we don't know Jesus, it really doesn't matter. We must know Jesus. And praise God for Aquila and Priscilla. They take Apollos aside And they are going to explain to him the way of God more accurately. So, you know, you can accumulate the best education and you can be trained in the finest of oratory. But if you don't know Jesus and your heart's not in it, it's all for naught. Jesus, I believe, said to some folks that they speak about me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Do you know Jesus today? Do you know him? Are you faithfully stewarding the heart that he's given to you? Proverbs 4.23. What are we supposed to do? Guard. Guard your heart. For it's the wellspring of life. It's the control center out of which everything else flows. The heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Notice Aquila and Priscilla didn't correct Apollos in public immediately after finishing his teaching that day at the synagogue. Praise the Lord. I think there's some lessons learned here on how to approach people too that we learned from Priscilla and Aquila. They pulled him aside. Perhaps they took him to their home and they explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now, I want you to think about something. Who is it that spent time in Corinth, training and discipling Aquila and Priscilla for some 18 months. I'm led to believe that Paul invested in this particular couple, Aquila and Priscilla. And no doubt they sharpened one another. And now here they are in Ephesus. Remember Paul, when he left Corinth, he took Priscilla and Aquila with him. And then he left them in Ephesus and he kept on going. Providential? Absolutely. Was it just an accident? I don't believe so. I believe it was providential. The Lord had Priscilla and Aquila come. 
with Paul. And now here they are in the synagogue. They're here in Ephesus along this side, this learned man who had been instructed in the ways of the Lord, fervent in spirit. And you know, Paulo seemed to be ready to do whatever the Lord had for him. His heart seems to be in the right place with the Lord. He's able to hear. In fact, it's this heart of humility, I think, that stands out in the text. And here, let me give you three ways I believe this heart of humility stands out in the text. Okay? Apollos is willing to hear what others have to say. He has a heart to be taught. That in itself is instructive for us. Are you willing to be taught from the word? They're they're explaining to him the way of God more accurately. So he has a willingness to just simply hear from somebody. Some of us aren't even willing to hear because we're too prideful. We don't like the idea of someone telling us anything. But I believe there's a second aspect to his heart here. Apollos was not only willing to hear and be taught, but Apollos was willing to go beyond vocation. What do you mean? Well, Priscilla and Aquila were what? Tent makers. He's got these tent makers that are going to instruct him in the way of the Lord. I'm reminded of Peter, fisherman. Jesus says, cast your net out in the deep. Now, if we push pause in the story, we don't get the details. But can you imagine what Peter's thought would be? In fact, he prefaces, what he, he prefaces his obedience by saying, we've worked and toiled all night long and we've not caught a thing. Nevertheless, at your word, I'll obey. You still get a little bit of the idea that, hey, this, I'm a fisherman. I know how to catch fish. Do you think, Apollos, for for a moment? Entertain the idea, hey, Aquila and Priscilla, you know what? I'm I'm glad you're here. You know, tent makers. Do you know where I've come from? I came from Alexandria. I was brought up in some of the best learning institutions in the world. And you're going to tell me about things of God more accurately? You see, Apollos had a heart of humility such that he was willing to hear what this husband-wife tent-making team had to say. There's a third area here that speaks to his heart of humility. Not only was he willing to overlook the vocation, I believe the text would, would, would tell us that he also was willing to overlook the gender. Oh, we don't like to talk about gender today. Or maybe we do. We seem to talk about it quite a lot, don't we? We hear it. Apollos didn't seem to be turned off by a woman who was with her husband instructing him in the ways of the Lord. Apollos had a heart of humility, church. Well, there's much right here, just right here in this particular part. There's much for us to learn. He was willing to hear. He was willing to forego and forsake the fact that these, these folks were tent makers. And he was willing to forsake the idea that he's a, he's a woman. Why am I going to listen to her? No, he didn't say that. And I think the text bears out this heart that Apollos had of humility. Praise God, he was willing to hear. The text says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. James 4, Peter. There's a few places where it mentions that. I want you to look at what God does once Apollos receives the instruction of God more accurately. He presents him with an opportunity to serve in Achaia. And we know that he served in Achaia. More than likely it was in Corinth. We know that because 1 Corinthians in particular... We see Paulus' name scattered throughout 1 Corinthians. Be a faithful steward of your heart. Operate in humility. 
and look for the doors of God's grace to be opened because he desires to use a humble heart. Number six, be a faithful steward of your gifts. Look at verse 27. When he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. So he's taking a letter over there. When he arrived, text says he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. He greatly helped those who had believed through grace. Apollos is watering what Paul had already planted. Apollos greatly helped the believers in Achaia, in Corinth. But he did so through exercising his gifts. Having now had the gospel explained to him more accurately by Aquila and Priscilla, Apollos is loaded with the gospel. I love that. He's loaded with the gospel as he makes his way to Corinth. Can you picture that? Based on Corinthians chapter 1 and chapter 3 and even 4, you, you get the idea that Apollos was mighty in the scriptures in Corinth as well. In fact, some were advocating. Remember there were some in, in Corinth who were advocating this. There, there, he speaks a couple times about this sectarian nature in the church at Corinth. And then some were following um, Paul. And some were saying, I am of Apollos. And some were saying, I am of Cephas. And some were saying, I am of Christ. Now, that could get to your head pretty quickly if you're Apollos. Apollos was in the same camp as Paul, Cephas, and Christ. Man, Apollos must have been mighty in the scriptures. Remember, he wasn't an apostle. In the sense that Paul and Peter and those folks were. Apollos faithfully stewarded his gifts in the church. And this is such an important part. You see, the spiritual gifts are given for the benefit of the body. Corinthians chapter 12 talks about that. Each one benefits when you use your gifts. Your piano playing is blessed blessing to the Lord, it's a benefit to the body. Those that serve the Lord up front on a Sunday, it's a, it's a blessing to the Lord, it's a benefit to the body. Those that pray beforehand for his word to go forth, I know some of you, you, you take some time throughout the week and you pray that as the word goes forth, that it would produce the exact fruit that the Lord desires for that to produce. Those who serve by providing a meal for the body, We'll have after we're done here this morning. I'm sure that many of you are laboring to get meals prepared and ready. That's a service unto the Lord. It's a benefit for the body. We've got a good group of of young folks who collect hymnals and binders at the end of the service. It's a blessing to the body. We've got a group of folks who set up the sound system every week. It's a blessing to the body. Many of us just show up and it's done. Somebody did it. That's a blessing. There are some who prepare the Lord's Supper each week. There are those entrusted with recording and keeping the financial records. It's a blessing. Using your gifts, using your talents. Using your abilities. There are those of you who write encouragement notes to others throughout the week. Or you pick up the phone and you call somebody. That's a blessing. There are those of you always looking for ways to serve the body. To pray for needs. You're you're faithfully stewarding your gifts for the Lord and his church. Keep it up. Serve him with joy. There's there's one enveloping area that I'd like to touch on as the text closes. So we can make this a seven, I suppose, if you want. Be a faithful steward of your witness. Look at verse 28. He vigorously refuted the Jews publicly. Showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. That word refuted, the actual word there, 
It's, it's the only place we find that particular word. And it's, it's, a, um, it's a word that, that really speaks to his... Um, the idea of there was no one who could stand up to Apollos. It was a no contest, let's put it that way. When, when Apollos refuted those Jews publicly, his skills to speak, coupled with the spirit of humility in him, coupled with the fervency in spirit, coupled with the mighty in Scripture, all of these things, he was unmatched when he stood to speak. He was in this for the Lord. He was in this for the gospel. He wasn't in this to win a debate. He was in this for the Lord's sake. A spokesman for the Lord Jesus Christ. It seems that he greatly helped the believers in Corinth through his ability to take the sword of the Spirit and refute those Jews. He was gifted not only in his speaking skills, but in his ability to take the gospel and show how the scriptures present Jesus to be the Christ, the Messiah. Reminds me of where we've been previously about how Paul did the very same thing, didn't he? He'd go into the synagogue and he would show how Jesus is the Christ using the scriptures. It's important we not bury and hide these gifts. We were talking this week in our men's group about that parable in Matthew 25. And we spoke about how important it is that we not be like the guy who buried his talent. Remember that? There were a couple guys who invested and they essentially multiplied their gifts. And there was one guy who, for various reasons, we suppose, decided to bury his treasure. The Lord has called us to invest his gifts. Not to bury them, not to sit on them, not to waste them. Especially in light of what Matthew 25 is, which is one of the parables of judgment. In light of the judgment to come. To be diligent to faithfully steward your gifts for the Lord's sake. Apollos was a faithful steward of his witness to Jesus. Whether in Alexandria, whether in Ephesus, whether in Corinth... Apollos takes his witness with him. And I see in Apollos a willingness to serve Jesus wherever he might send him. Are you available to witness to Jesus should he send you somewhere else in the days ahead? Have you essentially closed the door to what God may want to do and desire to do in you? What if he desires to use you out of state? What if he desires to use you out of this country? What if he desired to move you someplace out of your comfort zone? Would you be willing to hear what God has to say? Being a faithful steward, church, with your mission, it encompasses those first six arenas we talked about. Let me think about it for just a moment. Being faithful... Being a faithful steward of your mind, being a faithful steward of your attitude, a faithful steward of your tongue, faithful steward of your heart. All of these areas that we've talked about really are encompassed in this being a faithful steward of the mission that the Lord has given to each one of us. Our days are short. We don't know. Not a one of us knows how long we're going to be here. But however long we are here... I believe the Lord has called us to be a faithful steward of these earthen tents he's given to us. These using the members that we have as members of instruments of righteousness. It's important, significant. And Apollos, I believe, gives us a picture. He gives us a great example. A person just like you and me. Faithful. Faithful to walk in the way of the Lord. Faithful to speak the things of the Lord. Faithful to steward all that was given to him. 
2 Timothy chapter 2. Familiar verse to many of you. Paul is writing in prison. He's at the end of his life writing to Timothy. And he says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses. Commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I see in the text Paul investing his life, at least in those 18 months he was in Corinth, investing in this husband and wife, Aquila and Priscilla. I see Aquila and Priscilla investing some of their time and energies into this man from Alexandria who happens to come on the scene in Ephesus, this learned man, this man fervent in spirit, mighty in the scriptures, and they invest in Apollos. And then I see the Lord do some wonderful things through this man of the scriptures who then now has a desire to go to Achaia. He goes into Corinth and he doesn't bury that gift. He doesn't bury that talent, but he shares it and he invests in that church in Corinth. You see the pattern in 2 Timothy 2, 2 and how it can play out? Perhaps there's someone in your own life that's invested in you. And maybe you're thinking to yourself as you sit here this morning, what am I doing? What have I done with what someone has invested in me? I believe the key to the principle in 2 Timothy 2, 2 is, is finding faithful men, faithful women. Not just someone who's breathing. Paul says, Take these things that I've, I've, I've spoken to you. I've, you've seen me in these things. Take these things and invest them, pass them on to other faithful men who will then be desirous to pass them along to others. Where are you at in that continuum this morning? Are you being a faithful steward of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you being a faithful steward of all that God has given to you? I believe the text this morning would call us to ask that question. As we look at the life of Apollos, it's not just a nice story about this man named Apollos, but there is an application, church. There is now a so what? How does this apply to you? What does this mean for you? Are you going to be content just taking this good information, leaving at some point today? And go, oh, there were some nice points there. Or are we going to take this and exercise and move and ask the Lord, where are we at? Where am I at? And how can I walk this out for his glory and for his honor? Be a faithful steward. Hold that double-edged sword tightly. Don't let it go. Let's pray. Father, it's good. It's good to have your word. Father, I pray that as a church, we would all be faithful stewards of your word. That, Father, when your word speaks, we would have hearts receptive to hear what you have to say, and we would go that way. We would walk that way. We would choose to walk that way. As your word speaks to us, we would delight to go and move and be obedient to what your word says. I pray, Father, you would move each one of us in that way. Thank you for the example this morning in the text from this man, Apollos. Father, I thank you for the example that he gives us in the text. A faithful steward. Heart of humility. Mighty in the scriptures. Fervent in spirit. Boldly speaking. Refuting, handling this word of truth, doing his best to present himself to you, Father, as a worker, one who needs not be ashamed, but who correctly handles this word of truth. May that be so of each one of us here. As you speak, Lord, may we be desirous to walk in the way that you've called us to walk. And may you get all the glory through the fruit that possibly we would see as we are faithful to you. Father, I pray we just praise your name. You're the one who has allowed us to participate with you in this. 
we are workers with you. Father, we look forward to the harvest that you bring about. We look forward to how you'll sanctify us in the days ahead, how you'll move us, how you'll stretch us, how you'll test our faith. Father, just as you are a faithful God, and just as you are a God who stewards all things well, Father, you've called us to be faithful, and you've called us to steward all things entrusted to our care. May we be obedient to these things and walk together in these things. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.